with the theme of children this morning. This past week, of course, I was, I was barbecuing and I had the stack of the frozen hamburgers. And you know how it's always a pain to get those frozen hamburgers apart. And so I grabbed a pair of scissors and I'm driving the scissors between the hamburger patties to pry them apart. Has anyone done this before? And in the back of my mind, as I'm doing this, the thought just crossed my mind, don't stab yourself, Danny. And the very next moment, the scissors shot through and I stabbed myself. And instantly I got a gusher. And uh, you know you're at a certain stage of life when the only band-aid you can wear is a Lightning McQueen band-aid. It's the only one I could find in the house. But on top of that, it made all my boys really jealous, and they wanted Lightning McQueen band-aids. And I said, no, not unless you've got a real cut. So (laughs) hopefully I didn't give them any ideas. It's so great to be able to be a child of God. No matter what age you are, we never grow out of being his child. It's a wonderful thing to know that he is our father and that we, his children, have to walk by faith just like a little child would. And so I I hope and pray that you feel that blessing here today that just because you're not two or or four or five years old, you might be be 70 or 80 or 90-something years old and uh, you're still a child of the king. And he loves you very much. Let's pray together. Father God, we thank you so much that no matter how old we are, no matter what we've experienced in life, no matter whether what we've strayed from you, rebelled against you, wherever we currently are at this moment, you've never, ever stopped inviting your children to return to you. You've never stopped calling, looking, and waiting, saying, my precious child, return to me. I love you. Follow me. And so, Lord, thank you that you are here and ready to do that even this morning. I thank you, Lord, for the families who are represented here today. We thank you for the children that were blessed this morning. And we thank you as well, Lord, for the many children in our church family. Uh, We pray, Lord, for your, your hand upon them. We pray for for your guidance and wisdom for the parents especially. Give them much patience and love as well. And we pray, Lord, for our extended church family that no matter what stage of life we are, uh, we pray that we would stand by our, our parents and the children that in various ways, whether through serving in our Sunday school programs, our youth programs, um, giving words of encouragement and, and prayer, that we would be able to steer these children, Lord, in your direction. We know that this world is, is constantly fighting against that. We know that this world is, is set up against you, trying to lead our children away from you. And so, Father, we pray that you would also protect us from the influence of the world, from the snares of the enemy, and that we could truly keep our children guided towards you and that they would commit themselves to you with their lives. And so we leave this in your hands, Father. Father, we thank you for the way that you are constantly working in the world. We thank you for the promise of spring. We thank you for the enthusiasm with which the farmers are putting the seed in the ground, and we anticipate a harvest. And so I pray, Lord, that equally we would be enthusiastic about sowing the seed of your word, and that as we spread your word, as the seed is scattered, that we would also anticipate a harvest. And so we pray, Lord, for the many ways that that is happening, even right now, and prepare and preparing to happen this summer. We think of Turtle Mountain Bible Camp and the many other Bible camps in our province and across our land, Lord. We pray that there would be a fruitful harvest there this year as well. 
And now, Father, as we come to your word, we ask that you would open it to uh, our hearts, to our minds, that we could understand it. I pray that you would help us set aside our distracted thoughts and cares to receive what you have for us this morning. I ask that you would speak through me in Jesus' name. Amen. I'd like to begin this morning with a story of a young man who went into a local drugstore to buy three boxes of chocolates. One small, one medium, and one large. Now, when the pharmacist asked him who these three boxes of chocolates were for, he said, well, I'm going over to my new girlfriend's house tonight for supper, and I'm going to be meeting her parents, and then after we're going out for the evening. He then went on to say that, well, if she only lets me hold her hand, then I'll give her the small box of chocolates. If she lets me kiss her on the cheek, then I'll give her the medium-sized box of chocolates. But if she lets me smooch her right on the lips, then I'll give her the large box of chocolates. Well, he then made his purchase and left. Later that evening, as he sat down for dinner with his girlfriend's family, he surprisingly asked if he could say the prayer before the meal. Well, the request was granted, and so he began to pray, and pray, and pray. It was a heartfelt and intense prayer, one that included words of repentance and committing committing himself unto the Lord. It went on so long that finally after five minutes when he had said, Amen, his new girlfriend, quite shocked, looked at him and said, You never told me you were such a religious person. To which he replied, And you never told me that your dad owns the local drugstore. There is nothing There is nothing that drives us to fervent prayer faster than a personal crisis, is there? Even in the secular culture in which we live, whenever a crisis or calamity occurs, we will still hear news anchors and politicians alike say something like our thoughts and prayers are with you. You'll still hear it, even in the secular culture today. But is prayer as God intends it limited to only crises or requests? Or is there more to prayer than that? Is there something richer and fuller that God would like to draw us into by the avenue of prayer? This morning, I want us to look closely at the life of Jesus in regards to his prayer life. And if we look closely at the record in the four Gospels, we will quickly notice that one of the most prominent and consistent parts of Jesus' life was his prayer life, or what we might refer to today as his devotional life. Now, in our circles today, within church circles at least, we'll say something like doing your devotions, and we'll use that as shorthand for the time that we set aside during the day to maybe read a couple of verses of scripture, maybe read a devotional booklet like Our Daily Bread, and say a quick prayer. This this we'll call our, our devos, or our devotional time. But while that describes some of the actions of the devotional life, it falls short of the full meaning of the term. The dictionary definition for devotion is, one, earnest attachment to a cause or person, 
And two, profound dedication. You see, devotion is not so much a description of what we do, but of who we are and of what we care the most about. So let me ask you today, what or who are you profoundly dedicated to? What are you profoundly dedicated to? You see, this is not only asking the question, what are you willing to die for? Though that might be a good starting point. What are you willing to die for? Who are you willing to die for? But it goes further than that, and it asks, who are you willing to live for? You see, dying, in a sense, is easy, because it's a one-time thing. Yes, I will die for you, and then it's done. But living requires daily sacrifice, daily dying to our selfish motives or ambitions to live for someone or something other than ourselves. And so our devotional life, this life that defines who we are, is essential to living a life that is profoundly dedicated to God. Quite simply, there can be no life dedicated towards God without time spent in prayer with God. And Jesus modeled for us exactly what a life profoundly devoted to God looks like in every single aspect. And he clearly demonstrated that its foundation is prayer. Now we're going to look through very quickly a few examples of Jesus' prayer life in Scripture. So if you want to follow along, if you have your Bible with you, we'll be going through a couple of different passages quite quickly. A thorough investigation reveals that there are 17 different times that were specifically told by the authors of the Gospels that Jesus prayed. So let's look at a few of the highlights. Luke chapter 3 and verses 21 and 22. There we read that Jesus fasted and prayed for 40 days in the wilderness before beginning his ministry. Talk about dedication and devotion. 40 days of fasting and prayer in the wilderness. Then in Luke chapter 6, verses 12 and 13, we read this. One of those days, Jesus went up unto a mountainside to pray, and he spent the night praying to God. When morning came, he called his disciples to him and chose 12 of them, whom he also designated apostles. Then in Mark chapter 6 and verse 41, there we read that Jesus prayed before he fed the 5,000, multiplying the loaves and fishes. In John chapter 11, verses 41 to 43, we we read that he prayed before bringing Lazarus back to life. Luke 9, verse 28, we read that he prayed before his transfiguration on top of the mountain. Luke chapter 22, verse 39, we read that he prayed fervently in the garden of Gethsemane before he was betrayed. And then finally, in Luke chapter 23 and verse 34, we read that he prayed while he was hanging on the cross. And so here we see that in every single facet and phase of Jesus' life, there was prayer. Sometimes short, sometimes long, but there was always prayer. Now in our text for this morning, from Mark chapter 1, verses 29 to 39, I invite you to turn there now. We're going to be looking at this passage a little bit more closely. In Mark chapter 1, we read about Jesus' time in Capernaum, or Capernaum, as it would be uh, more properly pronounced. Our Israeli tour guide informed us that the name Capernaum is something that we English people have put our slant on, and he says, 
Capernaum would actually mean the town of Nahum. Does anyone remember the prophet Nahum? This was his town, and so it's named after him. So Nahum is in the name. little side note for you. Now, Jesus spent a lot of time around Capernaum. I'm going to say it the way I've always said it. It's been a powerful time in his ministry. He has just healed Simon Peter's mother-in-law of a severe fever. Other people have heard about his miracles, and they are starting to flock to him. And he is doing wonderful and amazing things. He is delivering people of demonic possession. He is healing others of a wide variety of diseases. Jesus earned his name, the Great Physician, through doing many, many miracles. He was truly a one-stop shop for everything that ails you. And business was booming. And we would think to just keep it rolling. The people are coming. He's teaching. People are believing. He's healing. Don't stop now, Jesus. But then we read this in Mark chapter 1 and verse 35. Very early in the morning, while it was still dark, Jesus got up, left the house, and went off to a solitary place where he prayed. Now hold on just one second. Did Jesus really stop the work of the ministry and sneak away? The throngs of people who had all come to see him, to receive a touch, to receive healing, did he really just sneak out the back door? That's what we read here. And in fact, Jesus had been gone for so long that his disciples finally go looking for him. And when they find him, look at what they say. Everyone is looking for you! Exclamation point. In other words, what his disciples are saying is, the ministry is booming, Jesus. You're popular and everyone is flocking. Isn't this good? Isn't this what we've been wanting all along? So what are you doing sneaking away? What are you thinking? But in answer to their rebuke, Jesus abruptly replies, Let us go somewhere else, to the nearby villages, so I can preach there also. For that is why I have come. Just like that, Jesus closes up shop and decides to leave a totally successful area. A place where people have literally been breaking down the door to be with him. To feel his touch, to hear his preaching. People were coming from miles around and now he says it's time to go somewhere else? Why would he do that? Why would he pack up shop when everything was going so well? Why? Because he had prayed. He had prayed and connected with his Father. And the first thing that we need to learn is that Jesus prayed before all of the significant decisions and events of his life and ministry. Jesus prayed before. And this is something that we must learn to do as well. You see, we can get so busy doing the work of the ministry, doing the work of life, that we forget to spend time with the God who we are ministering for. And when that happens, we become disconnected from our Lord and therefore become ineffective in our work and in our life. For Jesus said in John, Abide in me and I in you. Apart from me, you can do nothing. And so this act of abiding with the Lord in prayer is essential to the work of the ministry. You see, Jesus got up and and spent all of that time in prayer 
to have a time of strategizing with the Father. And so when he came out of prayer that night, he knew what he was to do. There was no ifs, ands, or buts about it. The Father had said, here's the plan, Jesus. And Jesus knew it was time to get up and move on. Yes, there was more he could have done in Capernaum, more people to heal. But the Father said there's more ground to cover, Jesus, and it's time to move on. His prayer time had refocused his purpose and his goal, and so he says to his disciples with absolute certainty, this is why I have come. There's no guessing about what the purpose of his life was. Jesus knew, this is why I have come. And that's a major reason why you and I need prayer. We need to talk over our plans with God to seek his guidance, to seek his will, so that we too can say with certainty, this is why I have come. This is why I am on planet earth. The Lord has revealed it to me. So no matter how busy you are, or how well things may seem to be going right now in your life, take the time to abide, connect, and listen. And remember, when we do so, we must come to the Lord with an open mind to truly hear Him, not just to get Him to rubber stamp our plans. You see, so often we think that what we're about is the only thing that we should be about, and we're just asking, yeah, Lord, keep blessing what I'm doing. And He says, no, I want you to be doing something different, but we're not listening. We're saying, Lord, bless what I'm doing, and He's saying, I want you to do something else. We need to come with an open mind to hear the Lord and to be ready to be redirected accordingly. Now, did you know that when we pray, something actually happens to our brains? Something happens to our minds that alters our thinking. Prayer literally changes us physiologically. In fact, recent medical research is backing this up. I read a news article from NBC News the other day, not exactly a bastion of Christian thinking. But nonetheless, NBC News ran the following article. Dr. Andrew Newberg of Thomas Jefferson Hospital has been studying the effect of prayer on the human brain for more than 20 years, injecting radioactive dye into subjects and watching how the activity in the brain changes when they pray. Quote, he says, You can see it's all red here when the person is just at rest, said Newberg, pointing at a computer screen showing brain activity. But you see, it turns into these yellow colors when the person is actually praying. And these changes, says Newberg, are signs of the power of prayer to heal. Said Newberg, we see not only changes in the activity levels, but in different neurotransmitters, the chemicals in our brain are altering as we pray. He said it was particularly fun to watch what happens inside the brains of a group of Franciscan nuns when they join together in meditative prayer. The area of the brain associated with the sense of self begins to shut down, according to Newberg. He says, you become connected to God and yourself just goes away. Isn't that interesting? That science is showing us something that we've known all along. The more that we spend time in prayer with God, the less we think about ourselves, the more we focus on him and then think of how we can help others. And it's amazing that science is actually backing this up. Of course, we didn't need science to tell us that. Romans chapter 12, verse 2 says, Do not conform any longer to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing 
of your mind. Could God have been speaking of a spiritual and scientific principle? Well, of course, he created us as spiritual and physical beings. He goes on to say, after you have done this, our minds renewed, then you will be able to test and approve what God's will is, his good, pleasing, and perfect will. I hope you're connecting the dots. Prayer is the avenue that brings us into direct contact with God so that he can reach into that gray matter that we call our brains, lift us above our selfish desires, and transform and guide our very thoughts to bring them into alignment with his will. Now, how cool is that? God is actually working within our thought patterns renewing our minds and changing us even as we seek him in prayer. So before you make your next decision or any decision, pray before and then wait for the way that the Lord will direct you even in your very thoughts. The second thing we'll notice this morning as we look at Jesus' prayer life is his consistency. They weren't once in a while prayers, they were regular and often. Luke chapter 5 and verses 15 and 16 tells us this. The news about Jesus spread all the more, so that crowds of people came to hear him and to be healed of their sicknesses. But Jesus often withdrew to lonely places and prayed. As Dr. Ed Neufeld points out, that line, Jesus often withdrew to lonely places and prayed, could occur anywhere in Luke's gospel. But it does not occur just anywhere. This line gains weight by where Luke places it. Jesus' withdrawal for prayer occurs in a specific context, crowds of people coming. They were always coming, and he was often withdrawing. It was not a freak occurrence, not an escape that Jesus used when it was all just too much. Rather, he did this often, regularly. It was a recognizable trait of his ministry, a known pattern that no longer surprised people. You see, if you only pray when you really need something or are facing a personal crisis like the young man in the opening story, then chances are you've put it off too long. Chances are if that young man had been regular in prayer beforehand, he would have realized that his motives behind the three different sizes of boxes of chocolates were far less than noble. And he wouldn't have been in that situation to begin with. You see, Jesus was regular in his prayers, and we should be as well. The third thing we notice is that Jesus liked to escape from the busy demands of life to an out-of-the-way place where he could be alone with God. Places like a mountainside, the wilderness, or a secluded garden. Now, taking time to escape from the bustle, noise, and demands of life is essential for our connection with God. But this is easier said than done, right? You know... If you're at the stage of life that we're currently at, if you have babies and or toddlers to care for, your escape might sometimes require a lock on the bathroom door. Does anyone identify with that? If, if you're neck deep in work or in seating, it might require a late night or an early morning. But let me just say that if Jesus found a way to escape and be with his father with crowds of people thronging around him, you can too. So carve out times of escape to be alone with God and then guard it closely. This is essential. The fourth thing we notice is that Jesus' prayers were persistent. He didn't just pray for a minute or two, though I'm sure he prayed many short prayers as well. But 
many of the things we are reading is, is like this. He spent the night praying to God. Now, this is a long time, and we're not saying that we have to spend the night praying if we're going to pray. There are times to pray short prayers as we're going along the way. But there are times, Jesus models for us, there are times we need to set aside concentrated, prolonged times where we spend time with the Lord. And now, of course, this is where many folks and people of all types and stripes sometimes get a little bit uh, maybe sensitive because a preacher, you know, he's, he's saying this is what you should be doing and then we feel guilty because, well, we know we're not exactly spending the night praying. And so have you ever felt guilty for not praying enough? I'm going to put my hand up first just so you know that preachers feel guilty about this too. You know, like, it's been a while since I've spent the night praying with God. But I don't think Jesus is modeling this for us to try to make us feel guilty. No, far from it. I think he is modeling for us something that he showed to be essential for him. That he so desired and loved to be connected with his father. That he just, it wasn't about the length of time. It was just that he wanted to linger in his father's presence. Do we want to linger in our father's presence? Or are we just there for business and then to get away as quickly as possible? One man once asked, Why don't we sing instead of sweet hour of prayer, sweet minute of prayer? Because that's often how we do it, right? I honestly think, though, that the main problem is not the length of our prayers. It's how we view prayer. You see, it's easy to view prayer as an obligation, as something that we have to do. On top of that, it may seem boring, it may seem pointless, or just a waste of time. But what if we changed our thinking, our viewpoint on prayer? What if we viewed and used prayer the same way that most of us use our cell phones? Now, this is my smartphone. As you can see, it's (laughs) well-worn, abused possibly. It's smashed here on the bottom, cobwebs, whatever. But it still works just fine. Uh, I use it quite often. We, we can do um, all sorts of things with this phone. I can play games on this phone. I can put notes to myself as reminders. I can use it for my scheduling calendar. I can surf the internet. I can send text messages, emails, Facebook notifications. And, believe it or not, I can even use this thing, what it was originally intended for, which is actually call someone and talk to them. Does, does anyone still do that with a phone these days? Anyone? A couple? There are a few. Now, let me just ask you. Do you think I worry about how little I use this phone in a given week? Do I worry about it? Do I feel guilty if I haven't used it quite enough? No, I don't. Nobody worries or beats themselves up for using their phone too little. If anything, we sometimes get worried about using it too much. (laughs) Has anyone uh, had family gatherings where everyone's sitting in a circle like this? Is that only at our house? Mom was threatening to ban these things and check them in at the door on the way in. Right? If anything, we use these devices too much. Nobody worries about using it too little. That's why we have unlimited plans. But let me ask you, why do most people use their phone so much? It's not because they feel guilty if they don't. It's not because they feel obligated. Those aren't the reasons. They use it primarily because it keeps them connected to the people and the world around them. And in the same way, prayer is what keeps us connected to God. And this is why Paul said to pray without ceasing. In other words, have a daily and constant connection with God. Prayer is a way of life. 
It is something that is an avenue to God, not something to feel guilty about how much or how little we use. It is an avenue. So allow me to just plant a thought in your mind right now. What if every time that you pull out your smartphone, for those of you who don't have one of these, you pick up your phone at home, whatever you use to communicate to other people, what if every time we picked it up, we pulled this thing out of, your, out of our pockets, we thought about, just as I am connecting to the people in the world around me, am I staying connected to my Father? Every time you pull out your phone, allow that to trigger a thought, I am going to pray before I call, before I text, before I email. Allow this to cultivate something within you, that prayer becomes a part of your regular life, just as this phone, chances are, is a part of your regular life as well. So the next time you pull it out of your purse or pocket, I want you to remember God. And if nothing else, just say, Hi, Lord. Thank you for being in my life. And just take 30 seconds to connect with him. You see, Jesus didn't pray all night to fulfill a quota. Jesus prayed because he desired nothing more than to connect with his Father. The length of time isn't the point. The connection is. So let me just give you a a few practical suggestions for what you can do to try to incorporate this into your devotional life every single day. Who uses one of these things? Quite a few hands, that's good. This is called our daily bread devotional. They're all available back in the foyer on the table. If you don't have a devotional book and you would like one, if you're a guest here, feel free to grab one of these or anything else on your way out. These are great little little snacks, I call them, to, to start your day. Little, little devotions that help keep us and our lives devoted to God. For those of you who were uh, a part of our church's Sunday school as we went through uh, our last curriculum, who here received one of these, the daily office? If you have one of these mothballed at home somewhere, I want to strongly encourage you to pull one of these out. It's got a morning, it's got a morning little meditation and reading, and then it's got one for the middle of the day. The middle of the day one's really tricky because we're so used to like eating on the go and then boom, right back to work or whatever we're doing. Take five minutes at the end of lunch to do one of these. It's amazing how it recenters us back to our Father to keep that connection going. So here's just a couple of things. And once again, I'll go back to the phone. If you have one of these, there are piles of apps for devotionals, Bible readings, version Bible apps, the one I use. It is a great resource. So if you have one of these, you can use that and utilize that in your devotional life as well. So let me just conclude by encouraging you. Model your life after Jesus' example. For if he, the Son of God, needed to pray, how much more don't we? To quote Dr. Ed Neufeld once more, For Jesus, frequent lonely prayer was an essential part of his service to God and to people. And for most of us in busy service to God and people, this is not the case. Some great delusion operates within me that Jesus thought he needed prayer, and I don't think I do. Let's fight this delusion, my friends. Let's fight the delusion that we don't have time to pray, that we don't need to pray, that we're too busy to pray. Fight the delusion and pray and pray and pray some more. Pray before making decisions. Pray consistently. Escape to spend time with God alone and pray with persistence. So just as your smartphone keeps you connected to the world, allow these four things to keep you connected to God 
and he will direct your steps. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, we thank you for this wonderful avenue of prayer that you have given to us. Thank you, Lord, that this is not just something that we say to speak to the air, that bounces off the ceiling to make ourselves feel better. No, this prayer, this is our direct avenue to your throne of grace. Thank you, God, that as we pray, even right now, we have confidence that you are listening, that you hear us, Lord, and that as each one of us is lifting up our our inner voices to you, that it's not just the words that I'm speaking that you hear. Oh, Lord, you hear the prayers of each individual heart gathered here this morning. You hear, oh, Lord, the the prayers of cries for mercy, the, the, the prayers for help, the prayers for deliverance, the prayers for healing, the prayers of thanksgiving and of joy. Lord, whatever the prayers that are rising up from your congregation right this moment, thank you, O Lord, that you hear them and that in your infinite wisdom you are sorting them all out according to your perfect will. And so I pray, O Lord, that as we seek you in prayer, that as we cultivate this avenue of prayer with you, I pray that you would plant that seed of remembrance within each one of us, that as we go into this week, that every time we pull out our phone, every time we pick it up, to connect with someone else, help us to pause and take a second to connect with you and to listen to you. And so guide us, O Lord. Thank you for this avenue of prayer. May we not neglect it, for it is truly our, our line to you. Bless each one, O Lord, as we go into our day and into the rest of our week. In Jesus' name, amen.